Welcome to Enneagram Plus Yoga, a podcast for the body, heart, and mind. And Kat and I are here today. We have already recorded the interview with Shelly, and you are going to love everything that Shelly has to say about being an Enneagram 2. But Kat and I just have a little bit of a disclaimer. We had some microphone issues that happened right before we interviewed Shelly. This was actually our first time to interview somebody else, um, even though uh, you heard Maggie last week as our Enneagram One. We had actually interviewed Shelly before, so we were novices at this. And then we had the microphone issue, yeah. and it was just a bit of a mess. But uh, we don't want to take away from what Shelly offers through our own <laughs> imperfection and worry about how we sound. So, yep. Kat, tell me what you said whenever oh, uh, you were listening. Well, to- yep. So, you know, it was our first interview, and I think everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong <laughs> yes. because we were nervous to start with. And yes. uh, the fact that uh, we were able to have Shelly on our podcast was a huge deal. And we had to interview remote. So as we began taping, the microphone stopped working. So Christy and I had to crouch over her phone that she was holding uh, throughout the entire interview. And, you know, we didn't think it would be that big of a deal. We just kind of rolled with it until we were able to listen to the episode. So full transparency, when I first heard it, I texted Christy. I said, there's no way we can release this. We sound horrendous. Shelly sounds like Brene Brown, and you and I sound like we're in a fish tank somewhere (laughs) under the ocean. Uh, Barely, barely understandable. But then we've decided, you know, maybe that's there's a lesson there. The mm-hmm. fact that it's not perfect is all right. The fact that what Shelly has to say and the wisdom that she's sharing is tremendous. Yes. And that shouldn't take away from um, from the fact that it's enough. The fa- yeah. You know, the, the, the fact that... W- what we, how we sounded wasn't perfect, um, is not taken away from how tremendous this episode is. It truly is. So, um, if you're able to listen to the entire thing, please do, please forgive our imperfection and truly enjoy. It's special. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's where we landed, right, Kat, is that you're one and I'm a two with a one wing Mm -hmm. and we have to work on embracing imperfection. That's some of the healing work we're still working on, right, is is letting go of of having things to be just right or just so. And so, um, again, Shelly shines in this interview and (laughs) you might laugh at us a couple of times and we invite (laughs) you to because we do sound muffled, but this is a great interview. So I hope you enjoy everything Shelly has to say about being an Enneagram 2, and thanks for tuning in. So we have Dr. Shelly Prevost with us here today. We are so excited. She is the co-founder of the Big Self School, a personal growth school for supporting the mental and emotional well-being of leaders through coaching, classes, books, a podcast, and events. She is a licensed therapist, an educational psychologist, a leadership coach, and an Enneagram practitioner. She helps people to be their wisest and most authentic selves. 
And Shelly has done a TED Talk, if you can believe it. It's called Lead Like a Girl. It's fantastic. I've listened to her TED Talk. And you are going to enjoy this interview with her. So let's get started. I want to start by asking Shelly how boundaries help her as an Enneagram 2. So Shelly, what do you think? Yeah, so I love this question. First of all, I think as a two, um, we probably struggle with boundaries, um, maybe as much as any other type, possibly nines. I think they really have a hard time with it, too. So, um, you know, boundaries for me, I've just I've never really thought like I knew I didn't like uh, saying no to people and I knew that I took more on than I should. Um, I'm just now starting to get into the inner work of recognizing when I need to set a boundary. And it's usually um, on the heels of feeling some um, resentment, some frustration, feeling like I'm doing a lot of output. um, And I don't, don't feel like it's back to me, which is a, a part of the strategy of being a two, which maybe we'll get into that. But yeah, I've, I've identified, like, I've started thinking about boundaries in almost three different phases, which is the one, the first one is just to identify what are my boundaries? Like, what, what is okay and isn't okay? And the way that I talk about boundaries professionally is that they are the actions that I need to take to protect my values. So I always, when I'm feeling that resentment coming up or that sense of like, <clears throat> I'm doing too much more than I need to be, um, I'm, I'm in that mode almost unconsciously where there's just so much focus of attention outside of myself. I really have to get clear on one, what value am I sacrificing right now? That's usually what's leading to my resentment. Um, so I have to like really identify like where, where are, what boundary am I really loose on right now? Um, and then I have, the hard part for me um, is communicating that to the people that need to know <laughs> what my boundaries are. Um, I can rationalize myself out of setting good, healthy boundaries as a two we can really talk um, and rationalize in our own minds how much people need us. Like, well, if I don't step in and do this, then who will or what would happen? Uh, We like to convince ourselves that we're um, pretty special that way in the helping uh, mode. Um, And then the other thing with boundaries for me is maintaining them. So I'm not, I can set it a boundary and then, um, like be really loose about it. And if I don't maintain them, then I, I see myself backsliding pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, boundaries is something that I've not really done a ton of work with up until like the last couple of years. So I'm a little new at that. Well, it, you said a lot of wise things. And one of the words that you said earlier that really resonated with me is resentment. I think mm-hmm. as an, too, when we start to feel resentment towards others that can be a cue of oh, wait, we're not keeping and maintaining our boundaries um but as we say you know no to others we get to say yes to ourselves and that's where we become that healthier version of ourselves as a two um yeah. and so 
you for all of your uh, wisdom about boundaries. Yeah. And I want to just mention, it's really hard for twos. Like this is a, this is, I think it's hard for a lot of us, a lot of people, a lot of women, a lot of women in the South. Um, we, you know, we, we buy into so much of how we're conditioned to be as women and um, not, it's very general, but I think twos in particular, it's, this is a very, very important part of our growth path is really understanding kind of the inner workings of this strategy of helping people and how it can, um, a good thing can become a bad thing for us. And so um, it's not easy. So I just want to say that it's, it's been very complicated for me to get in touch with these boundaries. Yeah. And I think a lot of, you said women in the South, and I'm sure this is not just true in the South, but all over women tend to score as twos, even if that isn't really inherently their personality. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're conditioned to help and to serve and to nurture. And that, that can be um, something that all women, whether you're a two or not, all people probably have mm -hmm. to at some on this piece of boundaries. So it's really important for all of us. So uh, thank you, Shelly. Thank you, Shelly. I have a question for you. So if you were to think about Enneagram 2, the first word that would help, would probably come to mind would be helper or compassion or empathy. And um, to your point, uh, too much of a good thing sometimes can become a bad thing. So do you personally ever experience a compassion fatigue? And if you do, how do you recognize it and what do you do about it? Hmm. Yeah, so... <clears throat> if I can go back just a little bit, um, because I didn't, it took me about a year to identify my type. So for a very long time, I went back and forth between, am I a two or a three? And, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of overlap, I think between the two and the three and the personality structure. And I came to the Enneagram. I knew, I learned about it back in like 1998. Um, so I've known about it for a long time, but I didn't really start working with it until I went through uh, a really like low point and a significant battle with burnout. Um, so while, um, and part of the reason I didn't identify so much as a two was because I didn't identify with being a helper. Um, I, I didn't see it as helping. I see it the the way that I quote help people is a lot of emotional labor. And so I'm the one that people want to talk to about their problems or I'm the one that um, people want advice from or let me just, you know, pick your brain or like it's a lot of emotional labor. So I didn't see it like I don't bake casseroles and apple pies. I it's so it didn't really fit when I was learning about the two um, until I started learning about the instincts and the subtypes. And that's where I was like, oh, that's what's going on. So which maybe we'll get into that, too. But so, yes, compassion fatigue showed up for me as burnout. Um, but it was because I was inserting myself in um, in so much emotional labor or as letting myself get inserted, getting pulled into a lot, especially at work at the time. And the, you know, out of a, a need to be indispensable or need to connect with people or need to be seen as like this, 
wise, I don't know, like emotionally intelligent something. And so I just took two, like more and more and more on, um, which the pride of the two was what really fueled that. Like, this feels really good. People need me. Um, so yeah, after about, um, I don't know how many years, really, honestly, probably my, my adult life of being in this very unconscious pattern, I really, um, lost myself. I got really like in a really just a dark place, like probably could have been diagnosed with clinical depression was very, um, I, I ended up hiring like almost like a team of doctors to really help me reset like physically, emotionally, spiritually, everything, because I had just output so much and it was just an autopilot. Like I didn't realize like, oh, some people don't do this. <laughs> this is actually like a, a, a strategy for me to get what I need in the world. And so, and that's what, when I learned about the Enneagram and the type two, and I was, that's what kind of woke me up to the inner work, the very specific inner work of being a two. Like this path for me is is unique because I'm a two. Um, so yes, I... I, I don't know that I would have called it compassion fatigue, but I, I think that word probably fit. I called it burnout. And I think there's probably quite a bit of overlap between those, those two terms. Yeah, that makes sense. Well said. So are you a type two with a three wing then? As you talked about, you were just not only helping, but doing quite a bit. Is yeah. That so I think um, my dominant wing for a very long time was a three for sure. I didn't, the, the one was really working as pretty intensely too. I just didn't know it. I didn't, I wouldn't have called it. Oh, that's my, my one wing, but I was, I definitely, my husband would tell you this is true that I have this, um, very, uh, intense kind of perfectionistic tendency that, uh, I do see things as, is. Uh, if I'm my dad, who I think is a one, he would always say, if you're going to do something at all, do it well. So mm -hmm. I've had that ingrained in my head since I was a child. And so now I have, I do have this belief, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it really, really well. So uh, I definitely have that, that tendency. Um, but yes, I think the, the pusher, um, for anybody that's familiar with internal family systems and subpersonalities, I have a really, really strong pusher in me. And I think that's a lot of the, um, the three dominant wing, which is like repress, repress emotions, repress needs, repress anything that gets in the way of accomplishing what you want to accomplish. And that's, that's the pusher that's really loud for me. Uh, but I will say my subtype is a, I'm a self-preservation too which is where I, when I learned about instincts and subtypes um, and the self-preservation too is the counter type. So we don't look like a stereotypical two. That's when I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's what I am. That's, I can, I can, it's almost like we have pride for not having pride. We like to think that, um, that it's not a part of our personality structure, but other people see it. And then when I started to figure that out, like how other people really did see me, uh, it brought a lot of stuff into consciousness that quite frankly was really painful and not fun at all. 
Yeah. Well, I, I want to ask too, since one of our focuses in Enneagram plus yoga is thinking about meditative practices that mm-hmm. serve you. Any meditative practices that help you to feel like a really healthy version of a two? Like what do you do that sends you into that space of being a healthier you? Yeah. Um, so there's a couple things that come to mind with that question. Um, the main, the main, I think, antidote to the freneticism and the constant doing and feeling of the two is solitude. Um, mm-hmm. So that's not necessarily meditative practice, although I think it's I the would- first step. Mm-hmm. So my, um, my ritual that I try to start and end every day with is in solitude. And so the thing is about us twos, and Christy, you'll know this, that we're constantly thinking and like about other people. What do they need? How do I meet this need? What do I need to do for them? And especially like I have three kids who are just like in the middle of all of everything. And so I'm just, it's just constant thinking and doing and feeling and connecting with other people. And so it's become uh, almost like breathing to get my solitude time. And everybody, like they know, don't interrupt mom. She's on the back porch. Uh, It often is just um, journaling or just connecting with just how I'm feeling. I think that's one of the things that twos feel a lot, but we don't feeling because we're thinking and feeling with other people. So for me to just really get in touch with um, naming emotions, feeling emotions, not um, repressing them or running from them or avoiding them um, or turning them into some kind of activity. I think that's what I, I have done a lot. So that's what I would say is one thing. The other thing, um, one of the important um, growth journeys for me is just humility. Um, and so there's a couple uh, mudras that I've been taught that really invoke humility. And so, I mean, it's, it sounds cheesy maybe, but just literally getting on the floor, like in child's pose. And there's this sense of like bowing. There's a sense of like um, letting yourself rest and settle into just being. And I think that's really important for, for type twos to let ourselves just rest and be. And then the, the bowing down in humility um, is, is really powerful, uh, especially for twos to feel that energy of being humble and um, not needing to puff up to make ourselves more important than we are. We're, we're, we're beautiful exactly how we are. And I think that's the, uh, a practice for me to settle into that has been really important. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. And for any listeners who may not know this, many of you do, but the, the deadly passion or the deadly sin, um, of the two, sometimes we might even call it our shadow side is pride. So pride in our own goodness. And so the virtue that we need is humility. So Shelly's example of getting down into child's pose. That's a way of physically humbling ourselves so that hopefully we'll move more into that virtue mm-hmm. of humility as a two. Also, I loved what Shelly said about solitude. And one really great definition, or at least it's been helpful to me, is Paul Tillich said, 
that solitude is the glory of being alone. Whereas uh, on the other hand, fear is when there's a loneliness and being alone. Hmm. So solitude glory of being alone and two gets into a really space when there's not fear of being alone but that they're moving more to, towards the arrow of health the four and mm-hmm. and find that joy and being alone in their feelings and you talked about learning to feel your feelings and make space for them so that's a that's the two when they're starting to go to that place of health so thank you for all that you uh shared with us um, yeah. especially yeah, child's pose as a way towards humility. Yeah, and I, think, and I think anything that gets us into our bodies, um, you know, I, for, gosh, I mean, I'm 47. Is that, I think, yeah, I'm 47. Now, I think, honestly, for 44 years, it's almost like I didn't have a body. It's like I was constantly feel, I was emotion and I was action. And I didn't, I, I didn't let myself dip into my body at all. And so, you know, when I went through my burnout battle, um, I hired a trainer, uh, who I still work with and really, and got more into yoga, got more into just paying attention to my breath, like things that really, um, pull us in just to paying attention to our bodies, then kind of moving into our bodies. And so for me now, um, movement is a spiritual practice. Walking is a spiritual practice. Like it's, it's not exercise. It's something that really is important to connect with my body in a physical way, not just an emotional way, which is typically what I do. Beautiful. That makes sense. Well, I have a question for you, Shelley, by compassion. So a lot of social science, uh, has proven research that, Helping others makes us feel better and happier. And for twos, I believe compassion is sort of not the thing that they do, but the thing, it's like the way of life. That's how you are chemically composed. But do you think there's an element of selfishness in practicing compassion? And if yes, how do you keep that in check in terms of how do you help the sake of helping versus helping to feel good? And I think there is a way that all of us feel good after somebody. I know I do. So what, yeah. what, what? So I love this question. Um, and it's a, t- it's a tricky one for me to answer. Um, so I'll try. <laughs> so I think one of, honestly, one of the bigger myths about the type two, and Christy, you can tell me what you think, but I think one of the bigger myths of the type two is that, we are like altruistically helping and giving. And I've worked with a lot of twos who report that that's not really what it's about. What it's about, that's like what I do to get people to like me or to approve of me or to think well of me or build connection with someone. So it's almost like it's a means to a deeper end. And I think the deeper end is to be loved. You know, I think a lot of twos report not feeling loved for who they were as a child. And so getting into this kind of helper mode, it's not, it's actually pretty strategic. And so a lot of twos and I, I, it's embarrassing to say this, but it's true. Um, You know, it's, I think about 
to get like, okay, who do I need to give to so I can get something back from them? It can, uh, and when I'm, I'm not in a healthy place, it can be pretty unconscious and therefore pretty manipulative. Um, so I, that's, I think for twos that aren't doing the inner work, um, helping can be self-interested. <laughs> it can be very strategic Unlike nines who kind of um, try to connect with everybody, twos are really strategic about who we're giving our time and um, attention to and are helping to, um, which is, again, like that's the pride. It's embarrassing to say it, but it is for me anyway as a two. So I here here's what I'll say, though. Absolutely, we can help unselfishly and altruistically. Um, I... I you know, learning about the Enneagram over the last few years and then working with it, like I feel that part of me bubble up more and more where I want to give out of a, um, uh, uh, it's, a it's, it's almost like an empty place. It's like, I don't need anything back. I'm just doing this because I want to do this because I, it's out of love. It's out of my heart. It's not out of my head. It's trying to think about what can I get back or what do I need from you? Um, but it's taking a lot of work for me to one self-observe and like get clear on when I do that, when I see myself kind of doing this strategic helping. Um, and then also with humility, which is why that's such an important practice for me. How do I empty myself of those, um, and like identify and then empty myself of those unconscious needs and get my needs met for me, like I need to meet my needs. I don't need to manipulate other people to meet my needs. And so when we get to that place, I think our helping can be really beautiful, um, really humble and, and very altruistic. Yeah. And I, I think that we've got to be careful as to, to think about why we're helping. Are we, are we helping because we want to be liked or are we helping because it really does come just from a, a place of my soul is saying yes to this. And, um, and it, it's just, um, I, I think that when twos are in an average or an unhealthy space as a two, um, they can be helping for the wrong reasons and definitely at the expense of their own spiritual um, and emotional health. Absolutely. And we, we do, we just have to be careful. Um, I do think, to have this impulse to give and to help and that that can be a good thing, but they really have to be careful um, with it. And like you said, the nine uh, kind of doesn't always get credit for being a helper because as twos, we have that name, but they do, they help. And a lot of times it's not because they want to be liked. It's just, that's who they are. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I like that you brought that up about the nine as well. Yeah. Um, I think it's hard for twos to see, it was for me anyway, um, to see this at play because we, we want, pride wants to see us as good. We're good. We're helping. I'm like, and it's hard to, you know, when I started getting feedback from other people that I work with, you know, my family, they're like, we don't want your help. Like, we don't want you to, this is, this is creating a disconnect. It's not connecting us. And so I'm thinking, they want my help. They, they want me to give advice or jump in or um, do this emotional labor. And I, you know, I don't 
I don't think people really do, <laughs> at least not not the way that we may want to think we're needed in those ways. And so I think that this is a tricky thing for twos to really get um, aware of. Uh, and again, I think asking for feedback from people, as vulnerable as that is, I think it's um, it's it's really helpful to hear how people experience this this kind of helper tendency in us. I love hearing you say that, Shelley. So to kind of piggyback on what you just said about, you know, you want to give help in the loved ones or whoever you are with saying, you know what, whoa, whoa, I, I really don't want any of your help right now for whatever reason. So when you get that feedback or you find yourself in that space, do you ever go on sort of a help and cleanse, mm -hmm. like a period of time when you make a conscious effort not to go out of your way to help others. Like, for example, I'm a one. And sometimes like my cleaning OCD just gets so mm -hmm. out of whack that I physically have to stop myself and like walk around clutter just to like check it or have my uh, unvacuumed floors for an extra day just to check it. Is it, is it something that you do too? Uh, yes. This is basically my whole life right now is like the cleansing of, of this. Like, like I'm really getting in touch with my inner bitch who's like, don't help anybody. Nobody wants your help. And so I think I'm the pendulum's definitely swinging for me. Um, because like if you, if I so over index, like 90% of my being wants to connect with somebody by being, um, indispensable by meeting their needs. So a lot of my conscious waking life is not doing it. And, and I'm in this season right now. It's like, I think I'll find a happy medium and I know I will. I think the growth path for me right now is disidentifying from the pride that wants me to be helping all the time. So the right. only way I know how to break myself of those conditioned patterns is to kind of do the opposite. Um, and, you know, in a lot of the work I do with people through the Enneagram coaching, you, you kind of have to get quote worse before you get quote better. So this is really, there's a process where people go through. And I think that's what I'm in. And I think what you're talking about is, is the clean, we have to kind of break out and it sometimes can feel really, um, destabilizing. It can feel icky. People that live with us don't like it. So they want us to go back to the way that things have always been. So yeah, I think that we do have to get really intentional about um, the antidote of whatever is in, you know, kind of imprisoning us. And that's why I love the Enneagram because it shows you exactly what it is. Like it shows you exactly as a type two, you do this kind of all the time unconsciously. So now you need to be observing it. I need to be observing it. And I need to be intentionally and consciously trying to be more humble in my life, trying to pull back into myself. What do I need? What am I feeling? Uh, how do I meet my own needs instead of kind of spewing that out outside of me all the time? Does that answer your question? Oh, yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. So, and and Shelly, I, I really connect with, a lot of, a lot of what you're saying, um, as, as another Enneagram too. 
Um, and I, I'm just wondering, like, one of the things uh, for, for Enneagram 2 and, and for every number on the Enneagram is there certain things that keep us up at night? Um, what keeps you up at night if you wake up in the middle of the night? Well, yeah, um, easy. My kids. <laughs> it is, you know, the the relationships I have with my family, um, in particular, my children. That's where I really feel the the two energy um, get stoked. Like connect, connect, connect. Like jump in. How are they doing? And my my oldest just went to college last week, so so that's been fun. I'm not sleeping that much at all. Um, so yeah, it is. Um, and that's the thing, you know, the, the type two is we're pretty, um, strategic. It's just the word I keep using because it's like, who deserves my help? <laughs> that's kind of the pride of the two. Like who's worthy of me giving you all my love and attention and wisdom and, you know, casserole yeah. or whatever. And for me, it's always, it's been my kids. And so when things aren't going well with them or our connection, or um, I feel like they need something for me that I'm not able to give or meet that need, then that's what definitely keeps me up. And then also, like if I'm, I'm aware of recently as I'm um, like, I'm doing a, a present a day training on Friday and I'm aware that that the planning of that, that's not what's keeping me up, but it's the, the impression I want to make. Like, am I prepared? Are they going to think well of me? Are they going to get what they need out of this? Am I going to do a good job? So it's, there's a lot of image management that yeah. comes up I, for me and it comes up subconsciously and yeah, in the middle of the night, which is so fun. So for listeners who may not know this, uh, the twos, the threes, and the fours are in the image triad of the Enneagram. And so worrying about image, worrying about particularly for the two, whether somebody will like them, those are the sort of things that keep them up, relationships. Um, that those are the things that interrupt sleep or uh, interrupt them from kind of being in a place of health in their life. Uh, so that was, that was really well said. And also mm -hmm. to go back to what you were saying earlier um, about kind of how the, the homeostasis and the house shifts when you start to move towards your healing work, as you start to move from being selfless to a little bit selfish, that is, uh, that is hard for, for people, our family members, our friends. Um, and I think we almost kind of can do that at different points in life where all of a sudden, Oh, I'm over functioning again. I'm over helping again. And here I have to shift back a little bit and it is uncomfortable for other people, like you said. So I just wanted to affirm that. Yeah. That and I don't think it's, I don't think it's always conscious for them either. You know, it's like, um, I, I use with clients, the, the, um, the image of people, everybody's sitting on a boat. And when one person shifts their seat on a boat, everybody has to shift their seat. And so that's like when one person starts to do this inner work, it's really funny too, because my husband and I do the, we do all this together and he has been reluctant to do anything with the Enneagram for many, many years. And over the last probably six to nine months, he's really jumped in. Now he wants mm -hmm. to get certified. He is like 
devouring the history of the Enneagram. Uh, he's a type four uh, with a like a real strong kind of analytical tendency with that, I think that five wing. Um, but it's really been fun to see how that's had to shift slowly. But, you know, I think everybody is kind of coming on board with it. Um, I think they like mom not being so reactive and a little bit more centered, a little bit more thoughtful, not so smothering. (laughs) So, yeah, but it's taken some time. Tell me about your favorite book on the Enneagram and uh, just tell the readers a little about a little bit about the author and why you like this book. Yeah, this one's easy for me um, because she's my teacher. Beatrice Chestnut um, wrote The Complete Enneagram. And so I, I was really what I would call like an enthusiast for, I don't know, a year and a half, a couple years. And I was driving to Atlanta um, and a friend of mine said, you need to know about subtypes. And I was like, okay, what are subtypes? And she's like, she t- kind of tried to tell me a little bit. And she said, just get this book and read it. So I downloaded it and I was driving to Atlanta listening to it and got to the, the type two, um, the self-preservation. And I just started bawling. I was like, I think I have to pull over. (laughs) I can't drive. And it was like, you know, you know how people say when you, you learn your type, there's just shame and there's like embarrassment. It's like, I don't want to be that type. And that's exactly what happened for me. And so, Mm -hmm. um, this book, I've probably read it Um, I don't know, like five times back front to back. And now it's like this resource for me that I use so much with clients and with friends. And I've, I've bought a bunch of copies and I give them out. Um, And then I, I was intuitively like uh, strongly drawn to work with her. And so I've signed up for her school and um, and I've been a part of um, her teachings and just learning from her sitting at her feet and like really just taking all of her stuff in. So um, she's phenomenal. So if people don't know about Beatrice Chestnut, she's remarkable. Um, and she also, her and Uranio have a, her partner in business have a podcast called Enneagram 2.0, which is fantastic. I can't recommend it enough. So Enneagram 2.0 is her podcast and your podcast is the big self school, right? Yes. The big self podcast. Uh, and we're doing, we usually do like a whole bunch of kind of random uh, personal growth and mental health topics specifically in kind of leadership circles. But right now we're doing an Enneagram series, which has really been fun to interview um, panels and specifically around people's growth path. Like how are they using the Enneagram to grow um, beyond just like, I know my type now. And it's really been fascinating. I listened to your Enneagram 8 one and it was fantastic so some good work there yeah they were good they were fun they were very it was uh, such a diverse panel which is I loved that well you could hear as they talked just the Enneagram eight I I just I I loved it I love hearing types interviewed and a lot of fun so so that out Shelly, I have one last question from me to you, and I want to shift gears a little bit, and I want to finish my questions with a little bit of a lighthearted 
um, note, uh, do you have a favorite way to unplug when the stress gets to you? And I know you've mentioned some journaling and some solitude and um, uh, yoga, of course, but do you have a, sort of a guilty pleasure of vice that may be surprising for our listeners to hear? So does Lizzo count? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think that's yes. probably the, the most, I don't know if that's a guilty pleasure, if I'm just um, really boring, but I, yeah, that's um, cranking up so much like music that n otherwise I would not let my 12 year old daughter listen to, <laughs> but yeah. we, you know, we turn echo on in the kitchen and um, just belt it and dance. And it's just really really fun, you know, and it's, um, again, I think it's like getting in that body and not caring. <laughs> like there's something really good about that for me. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Lizzo 10 out of 10. So solid choice there. <laughs> who can, yeah. Who can't not like Lizzo and dance to Lizzo. And I always think anybody who grew up in a home where the parent was the one, and you said your dad may have been a one, just learning to be silly and dance and have fun is so healing, right? Yes. Yeah, that sounds like a good time as a family. So if you um, could give our listeners a mantra or an affirmation that helps you as an Enneagram too, what would you offer to them? Yeah, so I've been thinking a lot lately about what my, my grandparents have told me really my whole life. Um, and the saying is, you are, you're as good as anyone, you're better than no one. And I think like as a two, I, you know, at the time, of course, they're saying this my whole life. I never thought how important that was until as an adult, I can look back and I'm like, that's a really important message for me specifically as a two. I am, I'm as good as anyone, I'm, but I'm better than no one. And I think as a two with pride, we can inflate ourselves and we can deflate ourselves and so to stay kind of neutral and see ourselves for exactly who we are and as beautiful as we are and as limited as we are, I think is just a really um, important practice. And so I, I do try to remind myself that um, if daily if it's if I can. Say it one more time for our listeners. You are as good as anyone, but better than no one. I love that. You are as good. But better than no one, and that that is fitting for an enneagram too, because you know sometimes we call it the shame triad, and they struggle a lot with not feeling good enough. And at the mm -hmm. same time, we've been talking about there's the pride thing, there's the I am good, and it, and so it's paradoxical, right? Um, mm -hmm. It's not one or the other. It's it we struggle with both. We vacillate back and forth between you know, wanting to be seen as good, but then feeling like we're an imposter and not good yeah. enough. And so yeah, perfect yeah. message. I, yeah, it wasn't. And when I learned about pr the word pride and then I learned what it meant and how I have an orientation to pride that makes me feel more important than I am and also less important than I am. Like there's, it's both. And that's how pride works for the two. Um, and so to have this like kind of neutral position around it, uh, again, not easy. This is work I will be doing for the rest of my life. But it's this saying has been really helpful, that mantra that I've been hearing my whole life, which is what's most funny. 
Yeah, yeah, but that that's something that that grounds you. Mm-hmm. And I heard something once um, that you know, narcissism, uh, empathy, insecurity. Sometimes, if somebody's um, you know too much of um, a sympathetic person, they're an empath. The root of that is still shame. The root of narcissism is shame. The root of insecurity is shame. So, so beneath any of that pride is shame. Yeah. Um, and so you are enough and yet you're not better than anyone. Mm-hmm. It's a good, good message. Grandparents yeah. can impart a lot to us. Um, but thank you for being here with us, Shelly. You've enriched us and our listeners and we're um, just so grateful for your time. Yeah. Thank you both for having me and for doing this work. Um, I think it's so important that Enneagram's getting such a, a big boost right now. And to have people like you that um, really see the sacredness of it, and I think put out the work that um, it's not light work, you know, but it, it can be fun work. So I love, I love this conversation and I'm just, I'm grateful for you both. Oh, thank you. Thank Same you. here, Shelly. We're, we're very grateful and we look forward to hopefully your conversations with you. Likewise, let's do it. Thank you, Shelly. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye, y'all. So I offer this meditation for Shelly, for anybody who's an Enneagram 2, like myself, but also for anyone who is trying to recognize their own needs. So just a reminder, we are all nine numbers. And I would love to start this meditation in child's pose, unless you're in a car or not in a position to get down into child's pose. But if you are, maybe finding knees together, which is great for the lower back, or knees wide if you want to give your hips some love. Maybe your hips come a little closer towards your heels. Your arms can reach in front of you or beside the body. So just find child's pose and get into a comfortable position. And then start to breathe. Breathing in through your nose. Exhale out. And then just stay with that breath. So continuing to abide in the breath. And as we think about the Enneagram 2, we celebrate that they bless the world through their warmth, love, empathy, and help. But I also want to say to our Enneagram 2s that you are worthy of love and of having your own needs. So take a moment to remind yourself that your ability to be loved is not defined by who you help or what you do. And that as you move away from the overhelping to silence and solitude, as you find the glory of being alone, you learn not to seek love from others but to receive it from yourself 
taking a moment to remind yourself that as an Enneagram 2, you find healing as you make space for your emotions, your needs, your desires. Take a moment to release the need to be needed or liked and to love yourself for who you are. Take a deep breath in. Exhale, letting something go. Thank you so much for sharing in this meditation with me. We look forward to being with you soon. Namaste, friends.